Uh, as Brad said, uh, my name is Jerry. Uh, my family and I, we live in Ethiopia. Uh, we do have a baby boy. Uh, what he didn't say is that I have six other children. So um, I have seven children. My oldest is 18, and my youngest is two weeks. Uh, so, you know, there's a bit of a span there for us. Uh, we, do, we live in Ethiopia. We live among the poorest of the poor there. Uh, we've worked in a slum area there over the last eight years since we've been there, working with mothers with young children, many of them who are begging on the streets, and we come alongside of them and provide a holistic intervention for them, doing everything from daycare to elementary school, free health care. Uh, we also do social work for all of our families. We do women's empowerment activities and micro-savings and micro-grants. And then we also provide uh, Christian discipleship opportunities for them, too. And it's been an incredible time. We, we went to Ethiopia for the purpose, of, for a different purpose, really, for church planting. And along the way, uh, through some really difficult times, the Lord was able to help us find our way until we started engaging among the poor and uh, doing this ministry we do now. We started originally with 20 children in, the, in our home. Uh, in the, the living room of our home. And now God has blessed it to the point where we're just about ready to add our 300th child uh, to our project. And the children, uh, plus we serve their moms as well. And now we have 60 Ethiopian staff, and they manage all the day-to-day, so it's become an indigenous work. And we just really, really appreciate uh, the way that, that God has continued to, to give us favor there. I did. Do we have the, the PowerPoint, Brad? I'll show you just a couple of pictures of, um, of our work there, and, and then we're going to move into the passage for today. We can go to the next one, maybe the next one, actually. This is just a picture of our daycare, uh, and this is one of our daycare workers. Her name is Konjit uh, in Amharic. That means beautiful. Uh, and we... Uh, these are just some of the kids we get to serve day after day. Many of them are malnourished when they come to us, but over time, a little bit of nutrition, a little bit of love, we watch them just come alive. And then this next picture is a picture from our first grade classroom. And by Western standards, this classroom isn't much. But what I will say is we're able to provide schooling for children who otherwise wouldn't get it. And it's an opportunity to break a cycle. You see, for children in our area, if we didn't have a school like ours, these kids would go to the government school. Do we have any teachers here this morning? Anybody a teacher? Okay. So, so this will give you nightmares, but, but please. Um, so if the children go to government school in our area, they put 70 children in one classroom, and they put one teacher in that classroom. And in a good and what we've been told is oftentimes if a teacher shows up two to three times during the week, that's a good week. I'm thinking put me in a classroom with 70 children and give me till lunch and I'm running for the door. But obviously it's not a conducive environment for children to be educated or to be cared for or to be given an extended family kind of environment. So instead what we do is we put 25 children in a class, we put a teacher in there, and we put an assistant teacher in there, and those teachers are believers, and they become like family to these kids, and we see life change uh, for these children time after time. Where we live, uh, we live on the edge of a slum area of 130,000 people, uh, the poorest of the poor, right beside the garbage dump. 
And it's, it's a wonderful place. We, we love our neighborhood, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that along the way. Well, this morning, I'm kind of following in this series that Brad um, has started, you guys have started here, with a couple of, of hiccups along the way, I suppose. I won't exactly fit within it. But this idea of falling upward. And I love this book that, that Brad had mentioned a couple of weeks ago by Richard Rohr, how it talks about faith in the second half of life. And, and I'll be honest, I'm there approaching that quickly. Uh, while I've been back on home assignment this time, uh, I now have not just reading glasses, but I have progressives, but they make me so dizzy that I can't quite use them yet. Um, I had four teeth pulled at the dentist about two weeks ago, and I had a massive knee injury just sprinting across the field with my kids. So I feel like I'm there, like this must be the second half of life for me. But the beauty of this idea is that we don't have to wait for the second season of life to fully embrace the journey that Jesus has us on. Rather, he meets us wherever we are, and he gives us this incredible invitation, an invitation that we're going to see expressed in Luke 14 this morning. So if you have a Bible with you or that app, you can, uh, we're going to look at Luke 14, verses 7 to 14 this morning. And, you know, as I was listening to Brad's sermon from a couple of weeks ago, he taught me a new word. I'm not sure I can pronounce it, but... Anagnorisis, is that it? Anagnorisis, something like that. This idea of a turning point, this critical place in life where we have this invitation, this place of turning. And here in Luke 14, we catch one of those. So I'm going to read starting in verse 7. Here's what we read. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that it is a gift to us. And we pray today that you would transform us by your word and by your spirit. Give us this moment where we choose your way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus' teaching here draws us forward in the kingdom way. You see, people were similar then to what they are today. People wanted to choose their own places of honor. 
And this is oftentimes how we think about the first half of our lives. That in this first half of life, we're meant to make something of ourselves. We're meant to be somebody. We're meant to gain attention, to to really become somebody who is known. To grow in power, to grow in prestige. In Jesus' day, banquets were like these social business lunches. It was this time when you made all these social connections and hoped that someday someone would pay you back. You were sowing into your future. If you could gain attention and show how important you were, then you could be seen as somebody successful, somebody worthy, somebody to be honored. But notice what Jesus says to us in verses 7 to 9. We read, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. The first idea here about sitting at the king's table is this idea of finding my security in Jesus alone. Jesus draws our attention here to finding our security only in him. Because what Jesus says to us here is he says, when you're in that setting, choose the last seat. Now, the seat closest to the host, that was the place always for the most important person in the room. The person who had the most honor got to sit right beside the host. But the seat furthest away from the host was for the loser in the room. It was the last person to get invited to the party. If there had been one less invitation, he never would have made it in the door. And Jesus says, choose the last place. Now, this is the place of self-examination for us. No matter where we are in a season of life, it is, where do I choose to sit? If I'm caught up in making something of myself and gaining power and looking successful, I will always try to get as close to the place of honor as I can. But if I can be secure in who Jesus has made me to be and who he's calling me to be, then I can willingly choose to not take the place of honor and power. Now, this next picture up here is a picture of where we live. And and people think we're a bit off. And that's okay. You can think that too. I mean, I have seven kids, so I have a whole entourage that comes with me everywhere I go. You know, people think we're a little bit off as far as where we live too. We live here on the edge of this photo. This is a photo of the garbage dump of, of Addis Ababa. This is a place where they've been dumping garbage for over 50 years and burning it for most of that time. This is on the edge of the Kore slum, the people that we work among. And recently, about four months, five months ago now, this was a scene of a disaster that happened. And it was one of those few times where Ethiopia actually hit CNN or ABC or a news outlet. You may have heard about a landslide that happened in a garbage dump that killed 125 people officially, with dozens still missing at the end of the day. And that's, this is where it happened, right here, in this area where we get the privilege of working. 
And people often say to us, how can you work there? Aren't you afraid for your kids? Don't you worry they're going to catch something? Aren't you afraid for your safety? And I can honestly say, no. Because you see, our security is in Jesus. It's not in where we choose to live or not live. A friend recently said to me, he said, he said, your family shows love just based on where you choose to live. He said, you choose to live here among the poor. He said, that speaks so much to them before you've ever opened your mouth. But here's the deal. Jesus invites you and I wherever we live. You don't have to live beside the garbage dump. You don't have to live in the slum. Rather, wherever you are, find your security in him and be a light to your neighbors. You see, Jesus invites us wherever we are to see our broken desires to be a success in the eyes of the world and instead to find our security in Him and in Him alone. We can do this because of who Jesus has made us to be. We can do this because of the cross and because of His resurrection. For all who trust in Him, 1 Peter 2.9 becomes true. And I love this paraphrase. It says, God has radically reversed your status. You used to be nobodies, complete rejects, and disgraceful outcasts. But now you are God's own people, members of his prestigious family. Our status is reversed. We used to be rejects and nobodies and outcasts. But now we are God's own family. Now, what that means, though, is that the world has nothing to offer us in terms of power and success and prestige because God has already settled it for us. In Jesus, we are honored. We sit in the places of honor. And so we don't need to strive for it here and now. Rather, we can be secure in Him and in His kingdom way. The second idea about sitting at King Jesus' table in verses 10 to 14 But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, right? And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Second idea is to securely choose the lowest place. Jesus said, You choose the lowest seat and let the host call you forward. I want you to imagine for a moment having an overinflated ego. And you walk into this room and here is the most valued place right here, the most valued seat. And you walk into this room kind of strutting as you come in and you go, you know what? I am number one here. And so I am going to choose the best place. And you make your way up here and you sit here. And then imagine your horror when you look at the back door and all of a sudden you see somebody walk in that you know is more important than you are. And humiliated, you're going to have to climb down off the stool and kind of hide your head in shame as you find a different seat to make way for him. Now, we might not do this at an important banquet, but we do have ways we do this in life. My son Joshua and I, we were recently flying, and we were flying out of Dallas Airport. 
and we're sitting there waiting for our flight to be called. And, and the flight attendant came over the loudspeaker and she said, all business class passengers, please proceed to the gate for boarding. Well, you wouldn't believe it, but every single passenger on that plane was suddenly a business class passenger. You know, all of us are crowding up at the desk, you know, no, me first, no, me first. And finally, the flight attendant had to say, look, if you're not a first, if you're not a business class passenger, you need to go to the back of the line. You need to go find a seat while I deal with the more important people. We have desires to show off our success and possessions or status symbols, me-centered advertising or Facebook rants. You know, spend 30 seconds on Facebook and we see the next rant that comes. Because there's a brokenness in us that says, I should be number one and I should be in control. But Jesus says, choose the last seat. And let the host say you're number one. Because if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. And if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. You see, with humility comes this great blessing. Like this next picture of one of the moms we serve. We have this great privilege of walking alongside of this mom named Faiza. She has two kids. This is her daughter named Kokeb. You know, her story is tragic. She, she is a widow. Her husband was killed and in, an, in an auto accident as a driver. And she was left with absolutely nothing. So she began to beg on the streets and she began to live in the slum. But we get this great privilege of walking alongside of her in humility. And God continues to bless it. You see, because in humility, we're called to put our future and our security in our Father's hands. The way forward is humbling ourselves, choosing humility, choosing to put others' needs in front of my own desires, choosing to seek Jesus' will for my life and not my own, choosing to put my possessions into His hands for His use rather than simply to provide what I want when I want it. Choosing to find my security in Him alone, which means at times I might work quietly with nobody ever noticing what I'm doing. And that's okay. Because the Master will exalt me in His way. And it's in the only way that truly matters. Because the Master will exalt us in a way that brings glory and honor to Himself, rather than bringing honor and glory to us. If we want to sit at the King's table of honor, we find our security in Jesus alone. We securely choose the last seat. And in verses 12 to 14, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The third idea, invite others to take their place at the table. Jesus' instructions here went totally against the culture. You know, culture said, invite the most influential people to your party. Invite the powerful. Invite the rich. Invite those who one day will then repay you Invite and invite you back. Gain influence with the decision makers. Because by having them come to the party, you could expect a payout one day. 
they would remember you. And this was the model for building a successful career in the first century where everything depended on relationships. But Jesus says here, don't invite these influential people who can repay you. Rather, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the outcast. Invite them in. And then look at the promise Jesus gives us here. We read these words, and you will be blessed. You see, those who spend their time here and now are focused on tasting the blessing today. We get repaid here and now with temporary, temporary possessions and temporary power and temporary prestige. But Jesus says, invite in the poor and the powerless and you will be blessed. They cannot repay us here and now. They cannot make our lives more comfortable here and now. But God will repay. He will repay at the, righteous, at the resurrection, we read Jesus saying here. This mom up here, this next photo, this mom's name is Dashash, and this is her son, Salah Amlak. She's HIV positive. She was begging on the streets and had nothing. She was in despair. And along the way, our staff met her, and they began to wrap their arms around her and loved on her and, and humbled themselves to meet her where she is. And the incredible blessing that's come about for her as well as our staff is amazing. This mom began to break out of despair. Her son, who was malnourished, began to be nourished. She saw signs of life in him as well. She got on her antiretrovirals, and she began to have health coming back to her. And in that glimmer of hope, she came to our staff one day, and she said, would you guys consider helping me to buy a sheep? So our staff helped her to buy a sheep. And so she took that sheep and she fattened it and she took it off to market and she sold it and she sold it for a profit. She lived off a little bit of the profit and she took the rest and she reinvested it. She bought another sheep. And her story now about two years later ends up like this. Dashash now owns seven sheep that she is fattening and selling. And she also owns two cows, and cows are very expensive in Ethiopia. But the one cow she milks and she sells the milk in a community, and the other one she fattens and sells it off. And her life has radically changed. She is now in a place of blessing, and our staff are blessed to be helping her. See, the gospel was shared in word and deed in the context of relationships in her life. I'm not sure if I put another photo. Is there another photo next? Yeah. This is another one of our moms. This mom's name is Emma Bate, and this is her daughter, Tseganesh. She's a young mom. She was, living on, she was begging on the streets. And again, our staff just reached out to her. They invited this young mom in with her child, began to care on her in the context of relationship. And she was in deep despair when she came. But she is growing. In relationship to our staff, she is responding to God's love. And this is a picture of her now. Emma Bate now, is, she has her own sewing machine. And she has this little tiny shop where she's making these beautiful comforters in her own business. And she is doing incredible because she was invited to come into the kingdom party. 
She was given this open invitation to come in. And people were willing to wrap her in love. At the same time, a family sponsor here in America was willing to spend a little bit less on their own living to give a little bit to help her be in the program and help her to respond to Jesus' invitation. You know, we see this reordering, though, throughout God's Word. It's a kingdom expectation for us. As we become honored in God's eyes through Jesus' finished work, there's an expectation that begins to unfold for us. It is that we would resemble our God, resemble our King in all areas of life, and especially towards those in need. Galatians 2, verses 9 to 10 Here we read Paul's words. Paul is getting ready to go out to plant churches. And here's what we read. They, James, Cephas, and John agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I'd been eager to do all along. You know, Paul says, this has been burning in my heart. There's this passion in me to serve the poor. And now we're going out to to plant churches. And guess what everyone is in agreement about? That we must remember the poor when we go. We can't forget them. Isaiah 1.17, we read this as well. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Take the last seat. Invite in the broken. Stand up for them by resembling our God. You know, this is grace for us. That Jesus has invited us to sit at his kingdom table, to fellowship with him, to taste and enjoy this new life that he has welcomed us into. Because once we were rejects and losers and nobodies and outcasts, But with the free gift of salvation, he welcomed us to come and sit with him. If you've never responded to that free gift that he extends, please don't leave here without doing so today, talking to someone. But for those of us in this room who have responded, here's what we should consider as we sit at the king's table, I believe. It is that we find our security in Jesus alone, that we securely choose the lowest seat, It is that we invite others in, but truthfully, it all boils down to one very simple question. It is, can I trust God enough? This God who in Jesus gave it all so that you and I could sit in those places of honor, can I trust Him to determine where I will sit and who I will welcome in? For my family and I, we've had an incredible place at his table. As I mentioned, our program, Embracing Hope, has grown. We have an incredible Ethiopian leadership team. We're watching people walking in process of coming to know Jesus. We love our community. We love our neighborhood. Yet, about two years ago, we felt as if God spoke to us and said, Will you take the last seat? And invite others in. So our Ethiopian program will continue to grow and continue to thrive with our indigenous leadership there. But we're getting ready to make a move ourselves. We are moving in January to Istanbul, Turkey. To a city of about 20 million people. Between 16 to 20 million. But what's a million people here or there, right? 
you know, move into a people who are much, much different than us, uh, into a city that is about 99.8% Muslim, to live incarnationally in a poor neighborhood, loving on people incarnationally who are much different than us, while also reaching out to some of the 500,000 refugees that call Istanbul home. Because you see, this life, this journey, this journey of following Jesus was never meant to be about our comfort. It was never meant to be about safety and security. Rather, it is about the master showing us where to sit at his table and who to welcome in. I hope that whatever setting you find yourself in this week, that you will engage in welcoming others to his table too. Thank you. May God bless you.